0: Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring.
1: Welcome back to There's No Business Like. I'm Josh Benson. I'm here with my friends, Danielle.
0: Uh, Hi there. It's Danielle Van Hook from the Alden in McLean, Virginia.
2: Brian. Hey, Brian Zelmer from Kutztown University at Kutztown, Pennsylvania. Kevin. Hey friends, it's Kevin Maynard from Quad City Arts. And Katie.
3: Hey everyone, Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan.
1: And I'm with the Marion Cultural and Civic Center in Marion, Illinois. So have you guys ever experienced, even though you know that you're good at what you do, being super nervous um, or shy about an interaction or being in a room or being in a situation in a way that could potentially hold you back? And And if so, how have you overcome that? Or have you?
0: Uh, yeah, Josh, like every day. <laughs> 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 um, You know, I don't know if it's something about being, you know, somebody in the performing arts where you feel like you can kind of like turn it on and then turn it off. But yeah, that imposter syndrome creeps up on me all the time where I feel shy, you know, in in maybe like a big networking event or something. It's um. I think it's it, it's a hard thing to work through for some of us.
4: Yeah, I'm in the same way, Danielle. Uh, but I think you're right. It's like, it's just that turning it on and doing it. I'll never forget the first time I had to introduce an artist at uh, when I was at the Orpheum Theater in Galesburg, Illinois. Um, I was backstage and we had, it wasn't a full house, maybe half full. And I had to go out and, you know, say thank you to the sponsors, introduce the artist. And I was so nervous. Um, I was like Pale. I was like really nervous backstage to the point where the artist to backstage was going, you're going to do great. You're going to be great out there. (laughs) And I was like, I should be telling you that. Um, But it was one of those moments where, you know, I just put one foot in front of the other and just went out there and did it. it. And it was fine. And I will say I have gotten better at that. I'm less nervous having to talk in front of people, but it was... It was one of those things that I just had to to overcome.
3: I would say, um, first of all, I feel pretty confident actually talking in front of people I don't know. It's talking in front of people I do know where I have the most issue. Um, You know, so colleagues in a staff meeting or something like that, that makes me really nervous. Quite honestly, like I've, you know, I do a lot of like youth theater teaching and I work with with students quite a bit. I actually get the most nervous going in to teach a class um, because Kids can be pretty brutally honest, um, or they're dragging on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for a you know theater dance class or something, and they you're getting no response back, no interaction. Um, so I actually get the most nervous and feel the most kind of like out of my element, I suppose, uh, when I'm teaching.
2: I've always had trouble with intimate conversations. So the fewer the people and the closer proximity I am to people, I start getting enormous anxiety. But I can go on stage and speak to 3,000 people and feel so comfortable. I still feel that way, but I did kind of get pushed. My first APAP, I had a a great mentor. Shout out to Martha Woods from Jonathan Wentworth Associates because she was my mentor at APAP. And we were going right from the, the first timer session to... The reception or something. And she challenged us, everyone at her table, to go up to 10 people that you don't know and introduce yourself. And I was sweating bullets, <laughs> but I did it, and it got easier the more I did it. So, I mean, I still get anxious, but um, I can do it now, thanks to Martha.
0: That's really good advice mm-hmm. if you're a newbie or not.
2: I suffer terribly from imposter syndrome
1: on my newest endeavor of, of being a mural artist. It was... I think I was—I had painted six, like huge, sixty-foot by thirty-foot murals before I even referred to myself as an artist the first time. Even though I've—I think I've painted on thirteen huge murals now, I, I still am in, nervous in talking about it or referring to myself as an artist, or slightly embarrassed when somebody like introduces me as an artist or talks about the the mural work that I've done, just because I'm not as comfortable in it. Uh, but all of this kind of leads us into. The conversation that Brian Zelmer and I sat down with David Wanan of Gilbert and Sullivan Players. Um, And he expresses during this interview one time where he felt really nervous and shy about it. He is a theater leading man. Like that is his type. And so to hear him talk about being nervous and shy uh, really was a little surprising. So enjoy the interview. Um, There's a lot of great gems in this one. We'll talk to you guys about it after.
5: Hey guys, I'm David Wannan, Executive Director of New York Gilbert & Sullivan Players.
2: Hey David, nice to have you with us. Thanks for sitting down for a couple minutes. Um, Can you just explain, in case there's someone who's never heard of Gilbert & Sullivan, (laughs) what the New York Gilbert & Sullivan Players are?
5: Sure. Um, So New York Gilbert & Sullivan Players is now in its 48th season. It was founded in 1974. It was co-founded by our current Artistic Director, Albert Bergeret. Um, and he still works with me, uh, every day on the company. Um, we've been touring since 1981 and it is a gem of a company that is sort of old school. We we're a repertory company, a true theatrical repertory company. They they don't exist. We're an independent nonprofit producer. Uh, we have a home city, uh, New York city season, uh, where we do up to three, four productions a year in New York as well as national touring in Canada and the UK.
2: I'm guessing um, that you're not old enough to actually have started with the company. Can you just give us a little background about how you came into where you are today?
5: Yeah. Um, So I went to the Eastman School of Music in uh, Rochester, New York. And the artistic director of the Eastman School is Stephen Daigle, who is the artistic director of Ohio Light Opera in Worcester, a very well-known company they do like 70 shows a summer. We call it Opera Bootcamp or Operetta Bootcamp. And that was a big deal to get into that company coming out of college. It's like you're getting into the artistic director's company, you know, summer thing. And that was my first professional job. Many of the people there had performed with NIGASP, New York, Gilbert and Sullivan players in the city and recommended that I audition. So I did in 2003. I came to the company, uh, to answer your question, I came to the company as an actor-singer. And then, um, I went to uh, Columbia for a year and studied business there, and that's how I melded the two worlds together. The artistic director came and grabbed me at an equity break for five minutes, like in in rehearsal one day, and uh, said, hey, what do you think about coming working with me in the office? And I had just been studying all this finance and marketing at Columbia, and I was thinking about changing careers, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I gave it about a month, and then I said, okay, and really the rest is history. I've been doing this full time ever since.
2: So yeah. that was like your real first big job right. in the industry and you've stayed with it for so long. Stayed that's with pretty it. unusual in any industry these days for anyone to stay so long, that's so incredible. Thank you,
5: Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun.
1: What does an office job for a musical theater yeah. producing and touring company look like? Yeah,
5: uh, it's, it's a good question because it's been sort of the evolution uh, of the last decade and a half. Um, I went into the office uh, primarily to help with you know, pretty standard-run administrative stuff, in-house marketing, coming up with uh, plans for advertising and brochures and uh, programs and just good old administrative stuff. But um, we were represented by Opus 3 uh, at the time, and they had sort of come to a realization that the company could use some more focus and they actually made the suggestion to al that he turn it over to me and it was very cordial and very friendly and uh our manager there still to this day comes and sees our shows and is a fan as well uh and they were very warm about passing on the torch to me to take it in house so to answer josh what it looked like was that i cr- i sort of took on this whole new career by bringing the representation in house and we, and we uh, didn't use an agent anymore. And it was a huge career move for me. It created a job. It created more jobs from there. Uh, we've, we've developed, we've, we've added full-time staff and part-time staff since I've been with the company when it was just really me and Al uh, in the mid 2000s. And just to yeah. clarify, you were also performing with the company, correct? Right, so I've kept up performing to this day. Um, I'm still the Pirate King in the Pirates of Penzance.
1: Now, is it hard to separate being the Pirate King from real life and, and exhibiting those <laughs> well, behaviors you know in is. real life? Or? Uh,
5: yeah, it's kind of funny having this persona of the Pirate King walking around with me at conferences. And there's like always a running joke about that. You know? <laughs> but yeah, it's fun. Um,
2: but how do you balance the two? Because I mean, there's, we know a lot of professional artists, and that's their full-time gig. But now you've also got the executive stuff, which right. I'm also guessing you said you had had some schooling in that. But like anyone, I mean, I was a business major and I, I still had to learn in the job. Sure. Aware. Like what what were some of the, the challenges that you had to learn from doing it? As right. opposed well, let's to make
1: that you, two parts. Yeah. yeah go whenever you it. first went into the office to work without. Right. What were the challenges then? And then move into whenever you broke away from Opus 3 and all of a sudden, you were your own agent, right? On top of that office stuff, and what it what getting into the conference world as a new agent. Um, I knew no one, you know, it was like. <laughs> and talk us through that.
5: Yeah, so um, th- those two things happened very quickly. But I went into the office, and the immediate challenge was to engage the board of directors because. You know, everybody has different people skills, but Al knew that I I like people and uh, you know could talk to people. So one of the biggest things he asked me to do was just create relationships with the board, and that was fun um, and rewarding. And I got immediately into that. Also, the, the office at that time was incredibly like technologically, you know, not there. It you know web the website was really backwards and like old school and needed updating so i like i i went after a lot of that low hanging fruit initially just to increase the marketing profile of the company you know get us up to 20 i was doing email like e-blast before they were you know when you still had to pay people to do them You know, and, and you still like got consultants to do them i took all that over you know um and then within a year Within, you know, my first fall conference was 2007, and I I went for this with that consultation a couple times with our manager at Opus 3, giving me a little bit of knowledge of what heads up. But I sent people emails uh, back then and and just introduced myself and went into it blind, and I was shy, and I was nervous. Um, Which conference was your first? I believe it was uh, Arts Midwest at Indianapolis or uh, Columbus that year, actually. Mm-hmm. And then Louisville PAE was another one. Um, and I did Western Arts Alliance the following year. So I got in pretty quick. Um, but it was it was a lot. Uh, but I sort of hit it out of the ballpark my very first year. I did like... Um, Thirty. I did like six hundred thousand dollars of touring, wow. uh-huh. and it was a big change from the previous year. So I had a lot of momentum. So looking at all the years now since
2: then that you've been going to conferences, yes. how much business do you typically get from conferences? Like, how important are conferences versus the other types of bookings you get from? However, you get them. Uh,
5: the conferences are extremely important for us. We're you know forty five people on the road. That's something that's very unique. I think um, you have our, to be really
1: tightly routed to to get that many people
5: <laughs> everywhere. Yes. Well, the, it, tightly routed is a is a key aspect of our mm-hmm. of our business model. I bet. I bet. But um, the, the conferences, we need to find the people who can um, who can afford the full show, and uh, without a doubt those folks are at conference and keeping up the relationships is the biggest thing just remembering that we're all friends and who you know showing up and keeping on people's radar that oh yeah they're touring you know what are you doing next year that's just like the constant you know Mm -hmm. um way it goes and so i really enjoyed the touring aspect of the business uh since i started um in terms of you asked me how i balance things too Mm -hmm. um One of the ways I balance is that I stay clear of the artistic direction. So I I leave that all to that team, the production team and the artistic director. And now there's an associate artistic director. And as an actor performer, when I come in doing that, they're hiring me for that. And I don't mix it up like I I'm coming in as an actor that day. You know, Um, obviously, sometimes it gets hairy and sometimes there are things uh, and sometimes I'm wearing both hats and going back and forth. But um, I really try to focus. I, I was I used my Columbia training and 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 my interest in business as my driver and sort of my guiding star, and then always kept my base, you know, skills as an actor and singer up and love that and just can go into that mode. I guess I can compartmentalize uh, pretty easily and and enjoy going back. That's and probably forth. vital, like important to compartmentalize.
2: Yes. And yeah, it also yeah.
5: makes keeps it fresh in both ways. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when I'm feeling a little like done performing wise, I can go over and just drink coffee and right, right. and do spreadsheets and type. And you know.
2: so, so you said you get the uh, big, you know, um, venues at a conference and then you go back home and do you. Then look at that region and try to reach out to other ones to fill in.
5: Yes. So I, I, I tend to we have a pretty good database and I have a great um, director of administration and box office, Joseph Rubin, who helps me out. And what we do is we send targeted emails um, with the little bit of routing that maybe we start up at a conference and it builds out from there. And a lot of times that's where we'll get venues that, you know, need to stretch or, or whatever, but they want to be a part of the tour. They can do a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night. And that really fills it out. This one that we're doing uh, this spring is 13 performances in a row at 12 different venues. So, How does the
2: cold calling work? Or, I mean, how, how do you get someone's attention that you don't know or meet at a conference?
5: You know, it's gotten a little bit easier, I have to say, um, because I've I've had some, you know, you've been around the block. People start knowing you or they hear... And I did. I was president of North American Performing Arts Managers and Agents, and that really helped raise my profile as well. So, to some extent, to answer your question, uh, I don't do a lot of cold calling. Okay. Um, I do email everybody at the conference personally. Well, and I'm, I, I'm more interested in, yeah. in the people that don't attend a conference, right? Don't attend yeah, the conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's where we use we use some technology. We use uh, for a long time. We used um, you know personalized emails that go out just to that state and the the subject and the email has routing information about the state um, so it's it, it's very specific and uh, I've, I found that that be to be pretty effective you know when I really get going and I need I you know I need a couple to fill I'll start getting on the horn and, and calling you know
1: I, I want to ask you a question going yeah. back to your first year at a conference, and that you ended up knocking it out of the park and having a, having a huge season, touring season. Right. Um, but yet you said that you were scared and you were shy and you were nervous going in. Um, can you talk to me about your approach to that first conference that led to that success for you and and what, what you think made the difference for you in that first conference?
5: Yeah. Um, I remember going to Columbus and to Louisville um, and being like a wallflower like i was standing on the side all by myself knowing no one um i had had a recommendation to join Napama before i even went so i was a newbie and i i had joined based on a recommendation and that helped because a couple of Napama folks noticed me and then i literally was walking one night by myself out in louisville down the street, the main strip there, and somebody from the conference grabbed me and brought me in, they were all hanging out, having a beer upstairs, and I got taken under their wing. And that gave me, like I loosened up, and I had fun that week, Um, and that was huge. So it was was really the camaraderie and openness of a, a group of people that I'm still great friends with to this day, some are still in the industry, some have left. But um, it, was, it was that taking under the wing thing. And there was a lot of mentoring um, conversations. Jerry Ross and I formed a great friendship early on, and he would mentor me, and I would tell him the challenges and everything I was looking at. And so that, those conference experiences were huge, yeah. And I, I did. I went from, and I struggled, you know, to some extent, you have those nerves and you, you fight that not you know thing for a few years, um, even though I was doing business, um, which was great. Also, back then, I do have to say, uh, block booking was a little bit more of a thing. Presenters were actually coming to me as like four of them. (laughs) And that helped uh, that initial year. Since then, I've noticed the trend is I have to do a little bit more of the legwork myself. But that's okay. It's just, you know, knowing what you have to do to get to it. In in speaking with people on this podcast, uh,
2: a lot of people have mentioned how important the hang is and not everybody understands that yes. Versus, so i'm just curious what's what's the balance of between the the formal expo hall we'll call it you know where people are coming to your booth versus you know the afterwards hang like how what how does that play into your strategy or your, your mix of of developing relationships
5: i think the hang is quite important um for many different reasons uh the trend since i've been in the industry you guys have seen this too is people many people like to schedule their time they'd like to you know get out beforehand you know get at their icals and and plug in those 15 30 minute appointments um so that has actually had an effect on the exhibit hall i think over time and the exhibit hall so when you have meetings it's a great place it's a nice business-like environment you can have all your materials out and and you can get down to business um but the discovery has gone down a bit so enter the hang Right, and uh, an epic part of my experience uh, since 2007 um, were karaoke parties. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Kevin Spencer, who is a wonderful friend. Love Kevin. Yep, uh, magician, illusionist, uh, teacher, arts educator. Mentor. um, Mentor, Mm -hmm. Uh, he um, and I, uh he really produced them but i i was always tagging along and we would go to the the bars and set up the karaoke things with the the local places um and those parties uh i really enjoyed and um i met a lot of people doing that and it was kind of like a fun um way to there's a lot of singers out here there're a lot of agents who are performers there're a lot of presenters here uh, past performers so that, that was a huge part of the fun and it, it has had a big thing. Also, um, I think that the hang balances out that nerve factor and like it's hard. You know, it's competitive. It's um, We always worry about having enough business. Everybody worries about that, right? When you come to these things, the anticipation of, oh, is, is it, I'm spending all this money. Is it worthwhile? Is it, is, am, am I going to get that return on investment? And uh, the hang balances that out a little bit so you blow off some of that steam and you relax into it and i think relaxing into it is is the biggest thing that i've learned over the years
1: and talking about your your first conference and and how you ended up getting pulled in well i guess it was your second conference in louisville when you finally got pulled into that hang right um what advice would you give to them for their first conference
5: i think that Showing there's a there's can be a tendency to get overwhelmed by that worry about return on investment or about am I talking to enough people? And you got to think I I was a, you know, representing just us, just our one thing. So, you know, I I knew to not expect as much as maybe the agents who have 30 artists on a roster. But I would say to a a person coming into the business, um, try to show up. Try to show up and, but show up well and listen. And you know, you don't have to. You don't have to talk. You can. You can. You can be quiet and smile and, and have a good time. Um, try to show up at hangs. Try to show. You know, smile and, and introduce yourself to people. Um and and try to relax uh, as much as possible because that's what's going to attract you know new relationships and getting involved in, in some of you know something like Napalm is a good idea. Uh, getting involved at APAP, staying open and continuing to go back downstairs from the hotel. Don't get trapped up in like, oh, I feel so awful. I'm yeah, going to hide in my yeah. room. You know,
2: how does a new person get invited to the hangs? How do they discover them? And, you know, that that's a tricky thing. I know when you don't know right. anybody, especially I would guess, especially artists and agents or self-represented artists, because they're kind of stuck alone in the booth. So you're right. not you're only talking with presenters coming by how do they
5: get to those well i think what we're really talking about is networking and networking Mm -hmm. is a skill that's separate from selling it's separate from producing there are ways to get going doing activities like the speed leads that kind of Mm -hmm. thing are a great suggestion for for new people um but also, you know, um, showing up at closing night receptions, introducing yourself to people and don't be afraid to say, you guys mind if I tag along, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and if you're if you're not pushy, you know, stay away from pushy is my advice. Reel them in with a with a gentle, relaxed demeanor uh, and you can make a lot of friends and we're all the same people. That's the what you also have to realize is the presenters, the agents, the artists uh-uh. It's, it's those are just job functions, right? You know, we're truly all the same people, and I really believe that. And you, you guys know that about me. And the, I know it's your interview, but I need to interject. Like, yeah,
2: when you do make it to a hang in your new, yeah, that's not the time to, to like hard pitch. Either. Right, exactly.
5: That's what I mean. But about But it doesn't the mean the business and, isn't going to happen. That's right. Soft networking is a skill, and being able to not um, to know uh, you know when to hold them, <laughs> <laughs> essentially, you know, know when to just. Uh, be a part and be friendly and and enjoy people. Get to know the people as opposed to talking about everything you do.
2: I see that a lot with it. You could tell the new people, like even if it's at a round table event thing where people just sit randomly, right? The new people sit there, oh, and they, and they just give you the hard pitch instead of yeah. getting to know you. And
5: and there are other things you can do too. I mean, uh, North American Performing Arts Managers and Agents Napama runs a retreat every uh, spring, often. Uh, And um, that's a great networking thing. You're not really there to sell, but you can meet people, you can enjoy, you can, you know, form relationships, you can create memories. And that's where, you know, what really turns into business down the line.
1: Brian started to touch on this for new agents and self represented artists coming in. What is the balance that you see between relational and transactional interaction?
5: Yeah. I mean, one of the things they say is, you really need to come in with a three to five year timeline of, uh, of investment, of your time and resources to get that return on investment going. So it should be real heavy on the relational side consistently from the beginning and take expectations way down on the transactional side. Now, that's easier said than done, and we all have people we answer to and budgets and you know is it worth it questions coming up but if you go into it knowing that it's going to take that kind of time investment then you can focus on meeting people um being someone people like to be around and and having fun um and that's what's going to pay off in the long run conferences are very expensive
2: especially for the artists the agents i mean not only do you have the registration like everybody else, but you have the exhibit hall fees. Yeah. You've got the showcasing fees if you're showcasing and so many extra things. And a lot of times there's pressure to sponsor different parts mm-hmm. of the thing so you can get your name out there. Um, if you're new, I can understand that pressure of, oh, I've got to sell, I've got to sell. But then there, it's, I've noticed a lot of newbie artists, uh, self-represented artists or agents come in and then they don't sell something and they're like, oh, well, that's not worth it. And they don't give it that long-term chance like you were just talking about. And then you know they're always like oh well conferences aren't this or that right. yeah it's it's just kind of sad so yeah so what
1: do you what do you view as the biggest value is the biggest benefit of being a part of the conferences?
5: See you know there's different trade offs and I did some research in, in the industry and um, an agent manager is going to use their relationships that they've built over many years to talk to a presenter about a lot of different artists right i'm just you know generalizing mm-hmm. here um whereas for us uh having the kind of focus on one thing even though there's we have different ensembles and different scale productions to offer um because an agent theoretically might actually be able to do everything over the phone if, if they're well established enough a, a presenter can call up cami and you know book their season or call up another you know agency and and get everything they need mm-hmm. but for us uh, the conferences offered a, a an opportunity to put a focus with a face and like I it 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 gave me a world a stage if you will to um to, you know to to represent, this genre really to represent this thing and i've often gotten you do gilbert and sullivan you know and (laughs) yeah i mean i love it i've loved it since i was five years old you know um but it it allowed um me to put you know myself into this business with a world around it to actually interact with not just a phone not just a roster on a screen um and it, it was and as i said the hangs um, have been a big part of it. It created a you know I you know a bit of recognition in the in the industry and and a lot of fun and a lot of relationships that have been there every year. If
2: know? there's an artist out there listening that is interested in, in maybe wanting to join your company, what do they have to do? Because you are uh, your union, right? You're yeah. a, a, an equity company. We
5: are. We are an actors' equity company. We also employ uh, local 802 musicians uh, for our orchestra in the city. And we're always interacting with uh, labor unions as well on uh, the venues, IOTC and uh, a, a singer actor in our company. Um, generally uh, we have auditions in the fall. We just had them nowadays uh, since the pandemic, it's kind of streamlined in that you do a self tape. It's pretty easy to see what we're looking for from self tapes. And then we bring them in in person for callbacks. So we just had that actually while we've been here. Um, the team back home was, was doing those auditions. So, uh, yeah um obviously uh classical singing is a, is a good experience but so is the acting and it's the combination of the two like w- the a top five percent we're looking for have great comedic acting chops but also have a voice that grabs you immediately um so it's kind of that real crossover artist that we're looking for
1: i love that as a result of the pandemic your audition process has become streamlined yeah <laughs> and that you know, you, you have a team and they can independently review the tapes and come back with their input. Exactly. And and decide who's coming in for callbacks. Yeah. And then as a team, focus just on callbacks and it and it really lessens the the investment of time for that team yeah. uh, to still get the same product in this area. Yeah. Way.
5: And those callbacks are so much more quality, you know, because they're looking at their dance, they're looking at how they move they're looking they're hearing them live in person for the first time they're looking at their attitude a lot of it's attitude you got to be kind of a company per player you know uh one thing we look at for instance is well are they up for doing ensemble as well as principal roles because so many people think that they're only principals coming in and most of us who have done principals go in and out of the ensemble all the time it really is that like rep company thing
2: i'm sure there's probably is there a certain behavior that you see that they're really excellent when they're on the stage but but basically, loses the job for them.
5: Yeah, part of it. One aspect of it would be if they only want to do principal roles and they're not open to being a team player. You know, um, if there's a lot of attitude in the in the in the audition room, that comes through. It's kind of funny. And some people have been crossed off the list right there.
2: David, I have a, a time machine. I'd like to bring you back mm-hmm. in time too. Where should we go, Josh? I was thinking. Well, go ahead. You you have an idea?
1: I was thinking. When you you were part of the company and then you just first came into the business office.
2: I, and so you're, you're only going to have a minute or two, but is there any kind of encouragement you'd want to give yourself or a piece mm-hmm. of advice that you wish you had then?
5: Yeah, I would tell that guy who was nervous at the conference to to relax a little that you've got a great thing in front of you. Um, I would also tell myself to not compare uh, myself to others. And my business to others um because we're so unique and sort of to relax into that and to some extent those coping strategies were you know i I might have used them back then but i would i would tell myself because i think i i um went for my first few years sort of going back and forth between doing business and not doing business and doing business and thinking that something was wrong with what i was doing and it had nothing to do with it you know um so relaxing into it being confident staying confident and just and and loving yourself and not um you know allowing the demons to uh or the insecurities uh to take to win the day because at the end of the day we're all the same people we're all in this uh you know to keep the performing arts in front of audiences and to and keep the artists on the stage doing what they love to do um, sort of staying in that zone, uh, would be my advice to myself as a, as a youngster coming in. Nice.
1: If there's one thing about our industry right now that would be your favorite thing about this industry, what would it be and why why is that your favorite thing?
5: You know, I love going when we're at these conferences. I love uh, going to like independent showcases and being blown away by something that I saw that is totally surprising. And I didn't know that I'd be in for that that evening. And sometimes you see these artists that are just amazing. And they're. Um, I saw a couple last night that were fantastic, but I love being surprised by other artists. I love listening to different kinds of music and getting the opportunity to do that. Uh, I love folk music and, and um, Appalachian music and Irish music. And that's one of my favorite things uh, to experience here. But the industry in in general, um, I just, I am touched by this every time, uh, it's the people and, and the, uh, the friendships that come out of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's probably my favorite thing is seeing old friends and and continuing to feel continuity and, you know, connected to my entire life's work. It's like, you know, there's a real world here and, and we support each other. David,
2: thank you for taking this time to sit with us. I really enjoyed hearing what you had to say. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate
5: both you and the Pirate King showing up today. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. See you guys soon. Thank you.
1: I've had a lot of fun talking with David Wan, he brought up so many interesting topics. Um, One of the things that we talked about just a little bit was routing. And both for agents, artists, and presenters, routing is an incredibly important thing in this industry. Routing is literally how... A tour is shaped. Having a a tour that that lines up with dates that geographically uh, line up to get you from the start of the tour to the end of the tour with as little travel in between as possible is a routed tour. And with a, a full bus and truck show, like New York Gilbert and Sullivan players has they are on the road and they have to be very tightly routed. So David Wanon is really good at at getting tight routing on these tours because he has to because he has so many people out there.
0: Well, and I just too want to point out that um keeping the routing tight isn't an like uh-oh, I don't want to go across the country. It's financially <laughs> uh it you know, if they if they have to put so much travel and so much time in between shows, then a, a tour isn't going to financially work and the tour falls apart.
3: Right. And as we've heard in some other interviews that we've we've done already, making that weekly nut, having those expenses covered is really important. But then also on the presenter side of things, knowing what the routing is going to be um, and knowing that there are other partners on that route. So, you know, being in Michigan, you really have to like work that routing to get people to not go directly from like Cleveland to Chicago, to actually make that detour up into Michigan and then come down. So, having routing partners in other areas of the country where you know the geography works, it's outside of your radius clause, you're not going to be crossing audiences, and it's actually beneficial as a presenter as well, because that helps make the finances work to Danielle's point and honestly cuts down on some expense on the presenter side as well. It
2: goes to what he was saying about block booking, because he he mentioned block booking and people may not know what that is either. And because he talked about how that used to be more of a thing. For people
1: just, you know, tuning into the podcast and just getting into the industry, exactly what is block
2: booking? It's where a group of presenters will get together and want to present the same show and then they approach the agent or, or the re- self-represented artist to see about when that can work for the whole block the group of people
1: so essentially it's a group of presenters presenting routing to the agent or to the artist and saying we've
2: got part of a route built for you already in this block by getting a block together that saves expenses for the artist because they're going to be in one region and as katie mentioned m- make their weekly nut easily because of this block So they save money and then they could pass that on to the presenters by not having to pay their typical fees. Um, you know, a little bit lower, they get to save a little more. So it works out, you know, in a good block booking situation, it's a win-win for everybody.
0: Yeah. And it's like you said, it's a win-win for everybody, but it's hard because if somebody falls out of the block, you know, then that puts more pressures on the presenters that still want to be in it and more pressure on the agent. But um, there are some of our wonderful uh, industry service organizations that see how important that is. And they have different programs that will support block booking um, in a way that really encourages it and you know, in a lot of ways encourages us to know our not neighbors, but our maybe like hundred mile radius friends, because it is just such a good way to support our own industry.
3: I do think it's become more complicated to block book, though, as our venues take on more and more obligations and roles outside of just being presenters. So you have rentals, you have youth theater programs, you may be doing art exhibits, things like that. And that complicates the schedule. So that makes it more complicated to work with your block booking partners because our in-house schedules have just become more complicated. So
0: I also want to take us to something else that David said. We're presenters, but there's agents, artists. It's all a title, Um, but we're all the same people. And that was something that really struck me
2: yeah I love that he said
4: that I also enjoyed uh, just hearing you know the agent side of that of talking about the importance of the hang um, like doing you know sort of that that business outside of the Expo hall outside of the conference um, you know because all of us on here fully realize that there's a lot of work that actually happens. At those,
2: or even just riding the elevator. I mean, how many times someone looked at your badge, like, "Oh, you're a presenter," and yeah. "Oh, I'm this, I'm that," blah, blah, blah. and they start, <laughs> "Where are you from?" Okay, and they start pitching and pitching yeah. and pitching. It's like, no, let's get to know each other first. Like, I don't mind. Yes, the elevator pitch is a title of a thing, but that let's you know ease into it. As David says, relax.
4: Yeah, and you sort of, I mean, you you realize the people that that you want to work with. I mean, the people that you you get to know them, and you start realizing, you know, where people are, what. Our different offerings are out there who you can contact just by these sort of after hour things that aren't necessarily like, you know, sanctioned by the conference or put up by the conference. And obviously, I mean, this right here is a great example of that, because this is all something that is because of outside of a conference hang.
1: The hang and getting to know each other and all of that is so important to the relationship building and that relationship building. Uh, David and I. We were supposed to be presenting Pirates of Penzance um, whenever pandemic hit. And on the second time trying to reschedule that tour, all the dates on the tour and everything else, David called me, and he's like, Josh. And and he knew he could call me because of the relationship and just said, hey, I'm, I'm really having trouble making it work at the fee that we had for you for you to fit into the reschedule of the tour. And my first response, just because we have a relationship built and we have vested interest in each other's success is drop me from the tour make the tour happen for you we'll work on it some other time if we didn't have that relationship i don't know that that would have happened and i and i love that him talking about the hang and him talking about we're all the same people really highlights the personal nature uh, and the human nature of our business that we're all people working and talking together
0: all right everyone thanks for listening to the no business like podcast our producers and hosts are brian zelmer josh benson Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Hook. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. You can find and follow us everywhere at nobusinesslike.com, which has links to all of our socials. Stay in touch, my friends.
1: And, and David Wannan is kind of a master of being tightly routed in his tours
2: <laughs> because Can we get it in one more time, (laughs) Josh?